Is one AFC West receiver setting up his fantasy owners for disappointment? What NFC East team might have a serious problem on their hands that will affect everyone in their drafts? And what is the plan of attack for selecting players off one NFC South team in flux? Plus, five-time main event football guys, VP and FFPC league winner Norm Barron talks about draft strategy in several different formats, how he handles lottery ticket running backs late in his drafts, and much more. We've got a great show for you. Farrell Elliott is here. I'm Eric Balkman. Stick around. Your high-stakes fantasy football hours start now. I can't stand the pressure. I've seen greater men than Broadcast live and heard around the world, you are now listening to the most entertaining hour of radio on the planet. Welcome to the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, presented by MyFFPC.com, with your hosts, Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott. The High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour is your home for analysis from the best players in the world. And now, because no one else was available, here's Eric Balkman and Farrell Elliott. To all of you, Paul Collins and Ferelli, I just want to thank the Quiet Hollers for that theme music. We're getting some heat. Bill Corby uh, actually reached out on Twitter. Hey, who is that? What's the name of the song? Well, it's the Quiet Hollers. The name of the song is Pressure. You can check it out at quiethollers.com or anywhere you purchase music. And I want to welcome you in to the latest episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour presented by myffpc.com. I am, of course, your slightly above average host, Eric Balkman, my co-host is the definitive commissioner of fantasy football, Farrell Elliott. Coming up on tonight's show, we're going to share some conversations with you about the latest NFC running back quote in the best shape of his life and why one proven tight end coming off a, uh, a uh, uh, broken year, essentially, is actually going to be a must-grab late in your FFPC dress. Plus, five-time main event football guys, VP and FFPC lead champ Norm Barons is going to drop by to talk about why Logan Thomas is a smart pick which Rams receiver he is getting tons of shares of this season and much more. Shout out to the chat room right now. You can post any questions you might have in there. If you want to connect with us on Twitter, the show is at HSFFR. I am at Eric Balkman. You can check out Farrell at J. Farrell Elliott at KFFSC. And of course, check out the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship at KFFSC.com. Our Facebook page is facebook.com slash HSFFR. If you want to chime in and talk with us, please give us a call at 347-426-3682. That's 347-GAME-OVA. You can also email the show at highstakesfantasyfootball at gmail.com. If you do have any questions for us, now is the time to send them in. We'll try to get to all the chat room questions, all the tweets, all the emails in the fantasy feedback segment coming up later on in the show. Thanks to our audio engineer, my best friend Bryce, and our producer and mutual friend Rob. Hey, the FFPC main event is off and running. Slow drafts going on right now. Remember, if you're already in it, already have a team registered, if you register another one, $400 off each additional team, whether you're drafting with us live in Las Vegas at Planet Hollywood or online from the comfort of your own home. Football Guys Players Championship is running white hot right now. Obviously, we have a couple more drafts to fill yet tonight. One starting in about a half hour. The other one is starting about two hours from now. Make sure you're taking your swing at $500,000 for first place, $100,000 for second. And remember, for every third team you sign up, you're going to get a $50 discount. Our inaugural best ball tourney is also going strong right now. $125 entry fee can win you $100,000. Very deep prize pool at $550,000. You want to play in closed 12-team leagues? We got Dynasty Startups going this weekend. We got best ball drafts going this weekend. And, of course, the Cinco de Best Ball options at just And as we look over to the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship, plenty of main event action going on there right now, ladies and gentlemen. The slow draft is uh, a couple of slow drafts going right now, both at two and six hours. If you want to register in Cincinnati, spots are running out there. And of course, Kentucky, live in Louisville, where myself and a bunch of FFPC players will be 
Uh, that is going to be the spot to be. And if you can't get down to Louisville, can't get down to Cincinnati, plenty of online stuff available at KFFSC.com. You check that out right now. There's a lot of red there. Make sure you get in. And as Farrell says, don't be a wish I had. Farrell Elliott joining me now on the program. Farrell, it's uh, exciting because this is our final show of July. The next time we get together, talk fantasy football in these airwaves, it'll be August, man. And August means KFFSC in Cincinnati and Louisville. Dog days of July behind us, Balky. It's still hot, but it doesn't doesn't feel doesn't feel like such a scorcher when we can play a little fancy football and take our mind off of it. You know, preparing for these events is great fun, but realizing them and, and enjoying the the visits from the people and the online. We got we got a couple drafts going online tonight, and and that's what makes it that's what makes it great. And I've uh, talked to a lot of people uh, that are coming to Kentucky, and they want to know. If they are in Balky's division, you know. So I said, well, we only get twelve in there. They all want to. They all want to be able to claim that they were able to get in and compete with you, Balky. I think that makes it nice. What? Well, yeah. Well, Farrell, everybody wants to get in eleven-team leagues, and me, of course. Uh, your odds go way up when you're competing against no, me no, in the league. So that's I don't why think everyone. That's no, I, but I get it. That, that, no, there's the, uh, there's the popularity factor, which I think, like, I just, yes. um, I think you rub off on me, and everybody wants, well, I can't compete against Farrell in Kentucky. I can compete against Balky in Kentucky, and I can't wait to compete against all the listeners out there as well. Hey, we got a jam-packed show tonight, ladies and gentlemen. Before Norm Barons comes on, let's get to the news of the day right now. Football Guys, Draft Sharks, NBC Sports, Edge, and Rob are responsible for tonight's Fantasy Flash. Big news coming this morning, or earlier this afternoon, I should say. Carson Wentz, the Colts quarterback, suffered a foot injury that's going to keep him out indefinitely. He's undergoing further testing on his foot. He's going to see the famed foot uh, doctor, Dr. Robert Anderson, uh, to see what is going to go on with uh, his foot that he injured at the end of yesterday's uh, practice, actually. Jacob Eason took over uh, with the first-team offense today, and Sam Ellinger, the former uh, Texas Longhorn, I believe, worked as the backup. Zach Kiefer, who covers the Colts for the Athletics, said, Wentz? told him he felt a twinge in his foot, but we don't know how severe it is right now. Now, the latest, according to Adam Schefter, is everything's on the table. Could be surgery, could be less than that. The Colts are going to expect him to miss the entire preseason, so we won't see Carson Wentz in his new uniform in preseason. However, Schefter also did say uh, the Colts do not expect his injury to be season-ending. All right, so... Farrell, this kind of throws the uh, Colts skill position players into uh, uh, oblivion right now. We don't know what to do with them. How would you handle them, knowing it could be Jacob Eason for maybe the first couple weeks to to more than that right now for T.Y. Hilton, Paris Campbell, your boy Michael Pittman, not to mention Naheem Hines, Marlon Mack, Jonathan Taylor? I feel a little better about it because uh, Jacob Eason is a player that, that I like a little bit. And I think he could be a short-term placeholder. It will improve the options for the running backs, and, and they have four of them. And so uh, behind that offensive line, this could be a, a run-first football team until we wait for uh, Carson to return. I'm just very hopeful that uh, he can return and return quickly and and not rush it back. And I think that's what Eason allows for the team. You know, uh, he's a good player. Uh, he's second year out of Washington. Uh, he transferred. Uh, I forget where he transferred from, but he made he made a home there in Washington. He's he's good. Uh, he's pushing six six in size. He can make all the NFL throws, and he's so he's got an offensive line, wide receivers who can get open. Uh, he's probably got more downfield touch than he does uh, uh, touch in the short passing game. Uh, so I, I'm not really, you know, I, I want to see him in preseason, uh, how difficult this would be for the entire team if Eason um, had to make this move preseason. He'll have the preseason to work. I'm a big believer in next man up football, Bucky, and these are, uh, these are good offensive coaches, good quarterback preparation in Indianapolis. It's not going to be Carson Wentz. It's sure it takes a hit, but it's not a disaster either. 
Jacob Beeson was the next man up. Um, I beg your pardon. Jake Fromm was the next man up at Georgia when Eason went down. Uh, and that is where he transferred from after Jake Fromm took over the starting position for the Bulldogs uh, after Eason uh, even recovered. That's when he transferred to Washington. Um, so I'm kind of with you on this. I, I don't think this is as disastrous as it sounds. You'd like to think that Wentz gets back at, at some point this season, but Eason is a capable quarterback and capable of sustaining. Remember, None of the Colts receivers are going terribly high right now, too. And I think that's worth keeping in mind. So these guys might become a bargain over the next couple of weeks until we get more news on Carson Wentz foot. Um, let's go over to Denver. A.J. Schultz on Twitter says that Vic Fangio, the head coach of the Broncos, thinks that Cortland Sutton is, quote, still holding back a little bit as he comes back from a torn ACL in 2020. Fangio went on to say he wasn't trying to provoke alarm and that Sutton is indeed progressing. But Fangio said that uh, earlier this month, he was going to manage Cortland Sutton's reps through camp. His injury took place last September, and it sounds like he may not be ready to go full steam ahead uh, starting week one, especially given that he is still going to be catching passes from either Drew Locke or Teddy Bridgewater. But Farrell, I I think that if there's one thing Cortland Sutton is able to do, is catch a lot of passes from suspect quarterbacks. He, he's shown that over the course of his career. Wide receiver 34 at the 703 right now. I think I'm buying on this dip. Um, it's going to go down. Uh, he went at the 712 uh, late yesterday, I believe. Um, he could fall to like the mid-eighth, uh, late-eighth round with this news. And I think I'm buying on that. You know, if I can get still get him as my wide receiver four, even wide receiver five, I think this is a smart investment, even despite this news. Very, very attractive there. You know, Judy jumped in in about uh, in drafts about two weeks ago, and Judy's got the same situation dealing with quarterbacks that he hasn't had the experience with. I think what Sutton needs is to get in a preseason game, catch a ball, get hit, and I think everything will be all right from there. It's quite understandable that he would be holding back a little. Uh, Got to trust your body, but football contact and and getting up and getting back in the game will be the quickest way for him to develop that trust. And soon we'll see the cordless Sutton that we previously saw because he's a magnificent player. And in the eighth round, Balky, you're just picking guys' pockets. Yeah, this is uh, Michael Thomas, Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Smith territory, DJ Chark, Tyler Boyd, Debo Samuel. He's going ahead of those last three right now, and he probably will fall beyond them, uh, no question. I know another guy that's looking forward to getting hit in real-life action. According to the Tacoma News Tribune, it's Rashad Penny who was at 230 pounds last year. He's down to 223, and he feels, quote, way faster in Seahawks training camp. So I think the takeaway here is if he is healthy and feeling faster, it means that uh, this surgery that he had in his knee in June, he's already good to go on. Uh, he's only 25 years old, obviously a former first-round pick, and certainly the, the, the clear handcuff to Chris Carson. In fact, he might be more than a handcuff to Chris Carson right now. Farrell, you look at the former first-round pick, Rashad Penny's ADP, running back 53 at the 1401. To me, even if you don't have Carson, and maybe especially mm-hmm. don't have Carson, Rashad Penny is a smart investment here at that 13-14 turn. Yeah, and if you're looking to add a running back in those positions, the pickings are very, very slim, and usually it's limited to guys that are going to catch the ball, James White, Gio Bernard, I think uh, Coleman is, is in that neighborhood. So, yeah, why not? Now, no matter what round these guys are going in, and I love that. He's dropped from 230 to 223. Light breakfast and skip lunch. I, I don't, But, you know, he's feeling fast, so that's great. But these backs in Seattle, you know, they've always been a puzzle. They've always been a mystery to me. Uh, puzzles can be solved. Uh, mysteries can be investigated. I'm through doing either. Uh, in the Seattle backfield. I'm going to let someone else pick that player and move on with them because I've uh, I've, I've never, he and Carson, I've never been anything but uh, confused about what they're going to do and when they're going to do it. So these guys, not for me, Bucky. But, uh, yeah, 14th round, why not if you feel that way? Why not indeed? In fact, we're going to talk to our guest tonight, Norm Barron, about that very thing, these lottery ticket running backs in the second half of football guys' drafts. We'll find out how he handles them. Before we get to Norm, uh, let's talk about what Mark Caboli said about Juju Smith-Schuster in The Athletic. Now, apparently, he is not working on the outside, and when he is working on the outside in Steelers training camp, 
it has been very little. Now, Juju Smith-Schuster wants to get those reps on the outside because it definitely improves his standing as far as free agency goes when he uh, is going to reach that uh, status after the 2021 season. But for fantasy owners, Farrell, I think this is a boon for Juju Smith-Schuster because if he's in the slot, he's going to get a lot of cheap targets over the middle. And especially when we're questioning, at least some people are questioning, how strong Ben Roethlisberger's elbow is this year. I mean, Smith-Schuster could be this year's Deontay Johnson and get a lot of stuff over the middle. How are you reading this situation, the fact that he has been in the slot so much in training camp? I'm very pleased with his numbers last year, and yes, I think this is natural for him for fantasy numbers to explode. I like all three receivers here. Not like I like the guys from from Dallas and, and that kind of mix, but I like these uh, – I like these players to perform as they did last year and maybe perform better down the stretch. Uh, Claypool, uh, Smith-Schuster, Johnson, all worthwhile players. I like the cheaper version uh, of them, so Claypool and and Schuster, who appear to go uh, back and back, um, those would be my guys here. And I don't care where they line them up. They're going to be productive. They're going to move anyway. A lot of motion in that offense. There definitely is. You got that right. Uh, and according to Fantasy Mojo, Darren Armani, who we cite his website all the time, FantasyMojo.com, yep. for all the greatest ADP and FFPC draft data uh, over the last three days in the Football Guys Players Championship, you are looking at Juju Smith-Schuster as wide receiver 32 at the 702. You are looking at Chase Claypool, again, over the last three days, wide receiver 30 at the 610. So just ahead of Smith-Schuster. Deontay Johnson, as Farrell pointed out, the most expensive of the three. Wide receiver 22 at the 504. Norm Barons is coming up right now, ladies and gentlemen. The last thing I want to bring up before we get to Norm is this news on Alfred Morris, the running back name that will never go away in fantasy football, apparently. (laughs) Field Yates uh, tweeted out today that Alfred Morris visited the Giants yesterday. Now, according to several reports, Morris is going to be on the 90-man roster for the Giants this coming week. Morris, uh, his visit comes as we have been talking about Saquon Barkley and the nebulous status of his uh, knee right now. We're getting different reports on how healthy it is, how close he's going to be to get going at the start of the regular season after tearing that ACL last year. Morris had 55 carries in nine games last year for the Giants, and he could make the 53-man roster. Farrell, this is not a question for you on Alfred Morris. It is a question for you on Saquon Barkley. I know what the Giants coaches are saying. I know what Saquon Barkley is saying. And now we see what the Giants are doing. Actions speak louder than words. This is getting me very nervous to draft Saquon Barkley, even as a late first-round pick at this point. Yeah, I skipped over him in a draft this week. I feel the same way. The body language, the expression on his face. You know, if you look, uh, you could see that even without listening uh, to what he had to say. Uh, something there is not right about this player. You know, there's a Devontae Booker is uh, is moving up the boards uh, somewhat uh, as well. And, um, yeah, this, this doesn't bode well for the, the Barclay availability. And, oh, man, I hope I'm wrong because I want to watch this player play. But uh, there's too much. Within the first round, there's just too many, many good running backs uh, to spend uh, – first round and even early second round uh, draft capital on this player right now. Uh, Yep, totally with you on that for sure. Let's get our guest thoughts on that subject and much more. He is a fantasy football veteran of nearly 30 years, including 20 of those at the high stakes level with a decade plus at the FFPC. In that time, he's won leagues in the FFPC main event the Football Guys Players Championship, FFPC Victory Point Leagues, and Best Ball Leagues as well. He's here tonight to talk roster construction, player evaluation, and draft strategy in a variety of formats, and much, much more. You follow him on Twitter at Amity Hooks. Please welcome in Norm Barons. Norm, thanks for joining us on the show this evening. <laughs> hey, gentlemen. Thanks again for inviting me on. This is a, a real honor sitting down and talking fantasy football with players like you guys. Well, this is exciting thanks. to have you. And I should mention, too, like, and this is letting the cat out of the bag a little bit, but we are going on an hour early next week to cover the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour or the live on High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour Football Guys Players Championship draft at 8 o'clock. And, Norm, you are in that league, uh, right? So, And I don't know. I, 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 I'm remiss. I, I, I'm, I'm lost here. I don't know what slot you have 
uh, in that Football Guys Players Championship League next week. But what are you planning on doing with that in the first round? That's a 12 pick. I didn't realize that was you guys. I signed up for that only because I saw a lot of chatter in chat that uh, seemed like people were goading. So I figured I'd sign up, and then I didn't realize that everyone's a badge in that league. But ah. I'll, I'll be fine. Excellent. Uh, that is excellent. I'm looking now. I think I'm pick 12. Okay, so 12th round, so, or 12 pick. So you have, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can go with that, obviously. You're not married to running back, receiver, tight end. It kind of depends upon, and this is the great thing, because now you don't have to worry about what the people in front of you do. You're just going to be fungible no matter what, right? Right. It's all going to be reactionary and situational. I mean, there's so many different strategies that are out there and so many different plans to have that it'd be impossible for me to forecast. I don't even like thinking about the prospect that I would want to, like most times at the end of a draft or end of a round like that, thinking, well, I've got to go wide receiver or tight end here because who knows what's going to fall based on injuries in the early camp news. Mark, that, or, uh, Mark, Norm, that is a very analytical way of looking at it, a very data-oriented way of looking at how to handle <laughs> this 12th pick. It almost seems like you have some experience in this. And to that end, <laughs> can you tell the listeners what you're doing for a living when you are not winning all these leagues in the FFDC? Sure. I'm a director of quality and compliance for a logistics company in Boston. Uh, we help clients with their supply chains, moving or retrieving their equipment and their parts. My job involves a lot of reviewing of data, pulling it apart, understanding the trends. That's probably why I enjoy fantasy football so much. And it might that be why like you're a natural segue. Yeah. I'm telling you. <laughs> so, so would you call yourself a numbers guy, no? Uh, you know, it's funny because I actually have a, a silent analytical partner. He and I have been playing at the high stakes level for all those years in Wyckoff and with FFPC, and he, he's my balance because I'm more of a gut guy, but I do do data. Obviously, you have to do data to play fantasy football, sure. but he's my analytical partner on this because a lot of times I'll get off on a tangent, like even the topic you were talking about with Barkley. I've been high on Booker since he went there from the Raiders because I yeah. have him with the Raiders. And I'm looking at Booker as being a solid that you need to get. And now with news coming out, I'm not afraid of Alfred Morris. He's a retread to me. But Booker's been someone I've been paying attention to for a while. And now the cat's going to be out of the bag if Barkley ends up being problematic. Yeah, I thought he had a very capable season with the Raiders last year. So Balky says you're in this, this league and you've confirmed you're at the number 12 position. Uh, and I was there. I was at the number 11 position last night in a draft. And I looked at uh, the situation with Jonathan Taylor, uh, who's been dropping. His ADP has been dropping over the last few weeks. And he was available at the end of the first round. Saquon Barkley was available there as well. Balky and I just talked about the fact that I'm going to let someone else take Barkley. I was very, very tempted on Taylor. And with the news that's coming out of Indianapolis, I, I kind of feel that I, I wish I had pulled the trigger on, on Taylor, but I ended up with uh, Stefan Diggs. So, so enough about me. What are you going to do with that 12th pick? And given a choice between Taylor and Barkley, which seems a bit unbelievable to me at this point here at the end of the July, that, that he would be in a draft where possibly those two would be available at the 12th pick, uh, what are you going to do? That's a good question, and I, I appreciate the perspective on where you were last night on it because it could happen with the news that's emerging. I have been down on Taylor. Honestly, I didn't um, I didn't want to chase him in the first round. If it was early second, I would consider him as a wraparound grab. If uh, Well, that sounds bad. A wraparound draft pick that can be snatched up. Um, but for your situation in the, the, that you're posing here, I might opt out of both of them and go with the, the wide receiver that you did, only because I'm afraid of what Taylor might not do I'm not afraid of the other backs in that backfield. I'm not afraid of him not showing up because he's still a talent. Um, I'm afraid of what that offense might not do without someone like Wentz at the lead, although he might be relied on more because they're yeah. going to need to run the ball with whoever's at the, at the QB slot. So I think you're right that Taylor probably is the better pick than Barkley based on the shadowy news coming out of the Giants camp, but I still might want to go with a wide receiver there. Uh, Logan Thomas, the, we, we've talked about him a couple of times over the last couple of months here, Norm, uh, on this program. You have Ryan Fitzpatrick there, who might want to throw it a little bit uh, more downfield than the WFD quarterbacks did last year. You add Curtis Samuel 
Adam Humphreys, who I guess um, Fitzpatrick's been targeting a lot in training camp, and then the rookie out of North Carolina, De'Ami Brown. Why do you think Logan Thomas is, is still a good get at tight end for FFPC managers this year? You know, that's another good uh, positional type discussion. Obviously, we're talking about possibly, what, mid-seventh based on Mojo's charts recently. So right. yep. what else is available there? Higby, Tanyan, Gasecki. I'd rather go with, with Thomas every time and twice on Sunday. Maybe Fant, just because of the opportunities that are there with Rivera wanting to create a, a Greg Olson-type clone. Uh, I think the only person who's really going to lose out in that offense with all that talent around him is going to be McKissick. He's just not going to be as necessary as he was last year because they've got prolific people, and, and Fitzpatrick's obviously a great passer. So I, I think that Thomas will still get his looks, get his grabs, and the person who's going to lose out there is probably going to be McKissick, barring any problems with Gibson. Mm. You know, speaking of losing out, I – You'll hear someone say when an announcement comes like uh, Michael Thomas being injured in New Orleans, and oh, the panic, uh, in that uh, our whole season is lost because our third-round receiver is gone. And I uh, I had Thomas on a couple of my early teams, and I, you know, I certainly didn't feel that way, and I'm hopeful when he comes back. Um, they, they're saying fifth or sixth week, and uh, that's before the bye weeks, and you know, you can feel good about your roster uh, from 1 through 20 and find a receiver to play. But all that being said, uh, sometimes uh, the receiver that I least expected to be available in this situation is Traquan Smith. But Traquan Smith was available 15, 16, 17th round. Is there not the type of, of belief of this player that doesn't warrant a higher draft pick. I um, I might have negative recency bias on both Thomas and Traquan. They've seemingly burned me in leagues in the past, so I don't appreciate them as where I'd want them. I'd probably devalue them <laughs> at least a round. But I, I agree with you that if Traquan's there in the 15th round in a, in a redraft, uh, you've got to take him for the opportunities there. It's no different than at a different round, Daryl Henderson's value because of Cam Akers' injury, although Cam's is more significant than, than Michael Thomas's. I just don't have a confidence that Traquan Smith is going to do any more. I'd rather slip even further and grab a Callaway or, or a Harris uh, than, than spend on a Traquan Smith, who really the last couple times, even when, last year when Michael Thomas was out, I didn't feel like Traquan really stepped up to the plate and led. And that was with Drew Brees throwing. Who knows who it's going to be this year? It's a question mark, so I still – I kind of am down on Traquan, even at the at ADP he's at now, just because I don't feel like he's going to be able to produce. I'd rather go with somebody else. That's very good. Um, no, Norm, it's interesting that you bring that up because, you know, you say Smith and Thomas both burned you last year. And, by the way, I'm in the same pool as you. Uh, had, had it happened to me in a couple of leagues last year with those guys. But because you look at this from an analytical angle and because you have a silent partner that is even more data-driven – do you think it's easier for guys like you and your silent partner to kind of put behind last season and look at it from a fresh start, from a numbers-driven perspective? Because I think sometimes we, we let our emotions get in the way, right? And, and after a guy burns us, we say, oh, we'll never, I'll never draft that guy again. Oh, I'm never going to have that guy <laughs> on my team again. I'm done with it. But I think for you, for, from the way that you approach these leagues, and feel if, if, I'm, if I'm off base on this, let me know. But from the way that I, I think you approach these leagues, it's sort of easier for you guys to put that behind you and just look forward rather than look back and have something like that, um, you know, drag your feelings on a player down. It's funny you say that because, again, I, I may have misrepresented myself. I am the emotional half of this combination, this partnership. <laughs> I'm, I'm very much the person that would say, screw that guy. It's one of the reasons why one of my down plays this year is I, I will never draft Antonio Brown again. Uh, Le, uh, Le'Veon Bell, if he ever signs with anyone, there are players that I have black marks next to that just aren't going to ever be on my team because of being burned in the past. And no matter how much he wants to give me data to show otherwise, I oftentimes will – just say I can't do it, I can't stomach that, unless it's insane value. And, and with a player like Traquan, that'll probably never happen unless it's a 28-round best ball, and even then I might be, I'd be more apt to try and wait and wait and wait and still take Callaway in front of him just because I feel like that, that talent is 
on a rising star perspective, more valuable at, at the 23rd round or at the last round for whatever it might be than, than taking a, a, a dart on Traquan who just won't produce again because he's consistently not produced for us. Oh, so I'm going to get you Barron. back on this one. When Traquan gets all those receptions, you know, he'll end up topping out at 45, but I'm going to get an eight reception week in there and call you on that one. Um, I, I actually I hope you do because I do have some shares of him because again my, my better my analytical silent partner has talked me into these things um, but I don't I I would levy a gentleman's bet on that <laughs> no problem very good okay. I'm always looking for a wager Valky uh, I I want to talk about what's going on in Los Angeles you got anything to talk about before we go there. No, uh, that's exactly where I wanted to go um, with with this next question. Um, I, I mean, as far as the running backs, this is a question from the uh, from the chat room tonight. Actually, uh, Kevin Williamson, the Bourbon City Baller, pointed out that Daryl Henderson actually went five eleven in the KFFSC Bluegrass Bound uh, draft tonight in the Football Guys Players Championship. Over the last three days, you're looking at an ADP of Daryl Hender- uh, Henderson. As at 411, as high as the 308, as low as the 510. So, Norm, when you look at Daryl Henderson, knowing everything that's happened, everything that could happen uh, coming up, where is a good spot that you've been targeting Daryl Henderson right now that you would be comfortable taking him at? It's funny. When the injury happened to Cam, I had to go back and look at my shares of what I've had uh, so far this year, and I don't have a lot of either, and it's disappointing because I thought I was pretty high on Daryl Henderson as being somebody I wanted to target, but I just think mm. that this, the the layout of my draft picks up till now hasn't provided for that. But right now with the news and even with, what was it, Gurley that signed, I'm not afraid of him. I'm more afraid of that other rookie, Xavier. I forget his last name. Uh, Z- Xavier Jones? Yeah, I'm more afraid of him yeah, potentially Dave. stealing stuff and making – Daryl Henderson not as valuable in the fourth round type draft capital capacity. It, it all depends on 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 makeup at the point where I might consider him. I, honestly, I'm more excited about the wide receivers there than I am the running backs there, just because they're going to have to throw more without Cam being there to to anchor the the ball. And I'm excited for Stafford being there, so I'm actually more excited to think about in the fourth round taking a Robert Woods or a Cooper Cup. Because I so feel it's like a situation when Akers went down, that was my thought immediately, that um, Stafford cannot escape the situation that he had at Detroit where he never really had enough running back and had to throw and throw and throw. You know, and, it's, uh, and I'm curious why I'm not more excited over Woods and Cup. I drafted Woods at the start of the fourth round uh, last night. Uh, and it, I looked over the numbers from last year, and I'm wondering, do you think he can improve on those? And, I, and a friend told me to check out the Russian stats, and they weren't plentiful, but they were productive, and there were some games where he would bust. I think he had a 40-yard rush and a, and a game where he had 60 yards in rushing. He had a couple rushing touchdowns. Uh, a cup... Um, uh, these two receivers both going in the fourth round. It's an easy decision for me on Woods. Uh, do you see upside from what they produced last year with golf, and how big of upside is it? I see a significant one, especially if Henderson can can at least uh, play out to the projections of what Acres could have been. Just because, like you said, Stafford needs to have the time to throw. And I agree with you. Woods is the option for me over Cup, just because I'm afraid of Cup's knee. Uh, that mm-hmm. that injury in and of itself can be problematic, and and it could cause him to be not reliable with that kind of draft capital. Um, so Woods is my choice. I think they will be more productive with Stafford there than Goff. I'm not a Goff hater, but I certainly won't draft him. So Stafford, on the other yeah. hand, I will absolutely take him because he's produced in a. Uh, gun-shy environment in Detroit because they never had anyone blocking and never had anyone really producing for him outside of him having to put it all on his back and carry it. So I'm excited for Stafford there. If he can carry half of what he had to do in Detroit, he's going to be very productive, and so will the receivers there, in my opinion. Do you see a similar situation with Higby? Higby's interesting. Uh, the the loss of Everett to Seattle is is intriguing because that opens up, obviously, Higby to be a lot more productive. I I don't know. Um, I mean, Hawkinson did well 
when Stafford had the time to throw to him, he's obviously going to be a tight end that's going to be productive there now with Goff, hopefully. Uh, but Higby is one of those talents I just don't have. A, it's like It reminds me of the tight ends out of Houston. I can't quite get a grasp of how much improved they can be. This isn't a situation like Ian Thomas in Carolina where he clearly wasn't going to be a star. Uh, this is more of a can he actually be with the talent that's around him, uh, a, a timeshare, a productive asset along with everyone else that's there that's demanding their mouths be fed. So I don't have an answer, Norm sorry. <laughs> that, no, no, that's good. That's good. Uh, Norm Barron's the uh, five-time FAPC main event football guys, VP and best ball league winner joining us on the program tonight. Um, let's talk Eagles running backs here for a second, uh, Norm. The uh, Eagles obviously have Miles Sanders as their starter. They had Boston Scott last year, yet they went out and drafted Kenneth Gainwell, and they picked up Carrion Johnson off of waivers from Detroit. So if you are looking at either handcuffing Miles Sanders or taking a shot on a backup Eagles running back, if you didn't draft Miles Sanders, who are you putting your money on? Which of those Eagles running backs do you like best? I got a caveat it only because I, uh, I would avoid the situation at all costs. Miles Sanders is the only one I consider, and I would only consider it later than a lot of other people would because I don't trust the Eagles' offense to be productive this year as much as everyone wants them to be. So mm. unless, it's the best ball, unless it's the best ball deep league, I probably Gainwell is the person that I would target only because he's just too electric and too shifty to not be worth a solid dart. But I don't have a lot of confidence in that offense other than – I mean, I have confidence in Sanders producing. I just don't want him. And I have confidence in Godert, unless the blonde Zach Ertz can actually rise up and be productive too. But I don't, I don't have a lot of confidence in that team. I, I don't know what it is. It just it's, it strikes me as uh, a trap. Draft Sharks uh, deep end podcast co-host Adam Krautwurst needs to get on a podcast with you, Norm, because I don't think I've heard opposite ends of the spectrum on the Eagles offense like I have from you tonight and like I continue to hear from Adam Krautwurst on that podcast every week. That would be a lot of fun. Um, but uh, since we can't get him tonight, uh, let's talk and pick your brain a little bit more and, and talk a little bit about um, best ball uh, versus best ball slim because you've done a bunch of both this year in the FFPC. How does your preferred roster construction look like uh, after those drafts? Obviously, best ball 28 rounds. Uh, best ball slim, 18 rounds, no kickers, no defenses. When you begin a draft, do you sort of have a set number in mind you'd like to have at every position, or does it vary based on the flow of the draft? It, it varies, absolutely. Um, slim is something brand new to me. I have not played slim. We've done best ball deeps, you know, the 28ers, and we do a lot of, of redrafts. Um, I've done other leagues. Like I did NFC, which had a, a bigger roster set, but they didn't have as much. Um, reliance on the tight end, obviously. And then there's other leagues I've been in where there's deeper leagues, 14 teams or whatever. But 28-round best ball, um, the construction at the end is all going to be situational based on what I want. I, I Obviously, we both will look for uh, darts that we rely on, whether they're rookies or veterans. A lot of times at that end of the draft, it will be obviously disposable. What, what's there in inventory um, if there's not a lot of rookies, we'll switch to veterans. If there's not a lot of veterans, we'll, we'll target rookies. Uh, again, going by the position. But makeup, we don't have a set makeup for those 28ers because there's so many roster spots to fill that you can't miss. The slims are harder. I actually was thinking about this the other day. Is I found myself with slims to occasionally move into you know, a, a jerk mode because – I'd rather see myself disabling someone else from doing more stacks of deeper stacks. <laughs> if somebody already has a quarterback and a wide receiver, and they might have another wide receiver on the same team to, to continue to deep stack, I might try and break that up or handcuff. And, again, I know this is a jerk move, but I'd rather play defensively in a slim where you only have 18 rounds to pull from to ensure that I've got my – consistency by position and and hamper somebody else from having a deeper stack or somebody from having that handcuff that they can rely on in a best ball capacity that's that's where i've been at with slims lately only because again that 18 rounds it goes by so fast and you have such limited capacity to do the darts that you would want to do our nfl football season goes by so fast those first 11 weeks go by even faster but you know, more of a my favorite thing is always a great thing for me. So this year we have 17, uh, a 17 game, 17 uh, week season, and and I'm curious as to 
what how how the extra week affects your thinking, be it roster construction, the kind of player you want. Um, Balky might in, instruct us as to just exactly how the FFPC is, is handling the rules of the extra week. Uh, but I, I'm just curious about that because it's not a lot, it's not something that I've thought a lot about, but I have been looking at the back end of that schedule for a number of teams to see who I can identify as a favorable schedule in, in a very long or at least a very longer season. Yeah, the um, the additional week is exciting for us as football fans, but it's definitely something as a fantasy football player we can't ignore. I um, This is where the analytical comes away from the, from the gut reaction of my drafting is I, I tend to overlook at schedules um, and that's where looking at this season – the fact that there's eight teams on a bye in the championship round of week 13 and week 14 is frightening. Um, not only that, but also the extra week in the playoffs when you think of the stamina that's going to be needed for that extra game for some of these rookies and the veterans who aren't used to this, and with the overshadowing cloud that still might be COVID haunting us, there's a lot of uh, risk there when it matters. The week 13, 14 bye week, the, the playoff championship rounds, all of that is going to have implications that we will have even less control than we already had, not that we had much, but there's a lot more risk to playing and the players we pick that we're not going to be able to control, but it's definitely something that, again, it it haunts me a little bit. That said, I do like what they've done for the redraft stuff on the expanded league with the week six most total point. That was something that was new to me that I just found out just two weeks ago when I drafted my first football guys draft. I didn't realize that the rules had changed for the redraft stuff in the main event to say week six is just going to be a, a most total point race for the six teams to get a win and the six teams at the bottom don't. That's a really good way to not have a lucky, unlucky switch for having to have somebody play one team twice. Um, I think that right. FFBC did right by that. That was a good call. And I wish I could take credit for that, but that is above my pay grade. So all I can say was, yeah, I was in the room when that com- when that conversation was done and, and that decision was made. That's the uh, the limit of the credit I can take on that. Hey, Norm, let's get to a couple of emails here from uh, from the listeners uh, that wrote in. Uh, the first one's from Gary in Charleston, West Virginia. He writes, hey there, Norm, how many lottery ticket running backs do you usually try to acquire in the second half of your football guys draft? Gary, thank you for emailing and thank you for listening. Um, and this is something that I've done and, and I struggled, like, I don't know when I started really doing this, probably the last five or six years, I put more of an emphasis on it and I never used to, because I tend to look at players who I know can help me. And if you can see the forest through the trees, sometimes if you squint, you can see these running backs in the right situation with the right talent. If they get an opportunity, they can help you quite a bit. So the question here, Norm, is how many do you like to load up on after, you know, the first 10, 11 of the rounds of your football guys drafts are done? How many do you like to load up on before the draft ends? It's, uh, again, it's, it's, a hard, it's a hard answer to give because it's, it's situational. Um, my focus, my, and me and my silent analytical partner, we focus on more of the type of running backs that might be there. If they're not there or the talent that we know we've uh, identified as people that we want, if they're not there, we'll switch to – tight ends that might be there because of the point per catch and something that might be a, a, a help for us on bye weeks or with injuries or even wide receivers because you always have those flexes that you have to rely on. I don't have a hard number. I know that most of the time we do end up with six total running backs in a football guy's draft. That's a redraft uh, with the sky being a limit on any kind of a best ball. But, yeah, we, we usually float to six. We don't always uh, focus on handcuffs, but we do focus on – um, you know, the rookies and the pass catchers later in the drafts just to try and augment what we already have in the earlier draft capital. Uh, but we don't have a – there's never been a real hard set on, on quantity per position just because there's too much value that could slip and fall based on who you're drafting around. Yeah, and like you said, it is a case-by-case basis. Sometimes you might load up on a bunch. Sometimes you might not have any. Uh, or you know, right. just one or two. I, I'm totally with you on that. Uh, one more email that we're going to get to before Farrell asks the final question here for you, Norm. Uh, Rich in Portland, Oregon writes, what's up, Norm? How good, from a fantasy perspective, 
Do you think Rondale Moore will be in his first year in Arizona? Rich, appreciate your email. Appreciate you listening. So I guess from a redraft perspective, Norm, here, what, what do you think about Rondale Moore in, in, uh, out in the desert? You know, with that offense being so uh, high uh, electric, I mean, the, uh, Kyler Murray, all of that, uh, the multiple wide receivers that they've got there. I'm excited for A.J. Green this year. Rondale's a, a talent, no doubt. I'm not high on him to think that he's going to do as much as we'd want him to do. I'd rather focus on other players in a redraft from that, from that team. Uh, like uh, even a Christian Kirk, that if, if he slips to the, to the, uh, to the primary slot uh, with AJ green and obviously nuke on the outsides, then it might be hard for Rondale to get as much love as you'd want him to get in a redraft. Obviously he's going to be uh, on speed dial for injuries that come up especially if A.J. Green doesn't hold true. But um, I, I love him as a talent, as a rookie. He's going to grow and be – I'm not looking to, to get him on a team unless it's best ball, in, in which case it would be a, a late-round dart just to make sure that if he does explode that we have him a share of him somewhere. Oh, I love those. I love those email questions. It gives me time to daydream. Every time you talk about this silent analytical <laughs> partner – I'm I'm picturing Jessica Chastain in a, in an oversized uh, designer black uh, pair of glasses, uh, put, putting the numbers, you know, wearing a silk blouse and advising you accordingly. But meanwhile, would she advise you if she, if that was your silent analytical partner um, on your draft list? I'd like to know. It's my favorite question. It's the reason I really do the show, Norm, is. Um, to ask who your sleeper is and who is the one guy besides Craig Smith, who is the one guy that you will not be drafting? Uh, the one guy we won't be drafting is Antonio Brown. I think I expressed my animosity towards him earlier. He's just too much of a head, too much of a head case to take a risk on. He'll probably do great this year because I'm saying this, the jinx is on. Yeah. I just don't have value in him. I think there's a lot of other weapons there that are going to do a lot better, a lot of other weapons and other teams that are going to do a lot better. I just don't have the faith and or the patience to deal with that. Um, so that's an easy one to answer. The the sleeper is, is harder because there's so many different players out there, and I don't want to you know let loose the recipe for the secret sauce this season if anyone's listening and playing against me. Nobody's I have a listening now. No, nobody. Just me. <laughs> it's just me. <laughs> Um, I I really like uh, Gabe Davis in Buffalo as a sleeper, but I also mm. like who he's replacing is John Brown in Las Vegas. I'm I'm excited for Henry Ruggs to do something out there, but I'm excited for John Brown to go out there and actually do what Nelson Aguilar did last year as a sleeper, and Gabe Davis. Yeah. Well, if Emmanuel Sanders breaks down because he's old, or Cole Beasley gets COVID, then Gabe Davis already, even with those guys still playing, might still be a better value, a la what John Brown has done there in the past. And he could be a real value, especially in the Josh Allen pass prolific type offense that they're putting together there in Buffalo. No matter what type of offense we are in on this show, a great value is always Norm Barons, who has came on tonight, dropped a lot of science on us. He's a data guy who's very emotional, the best, and some would say the worst of both worlds when it comes to fantasy football, but he definitely has the chops. He definitely has the resume to back it up as well. Him being a five-time FFPC main event football guys, VP and best ball champ. You follow him on Twitter at Amity hooks. Uh, listen, Norm, this was a lot of fun. I wish you nothing but the best of luck next week. And if you want to make a pick on the air next week, feel free to give us a call at the same number. We'd love to have you back, man. I might do that. And I, again, I really appreciate talking with you guys. Anytime you need me in the future to talk about stuff, I'm always available. You're the man, Norm. We'll talk to you soon, man. Take care. Norm Barons, ladies and gentlemen, at Amity Hooks on Twitter. Good stuff from him. Learned a lot. And it's good to know Farrell. And I know he would tell you, like, look, I'm I'm the I'm the volatile, um, you know, schizophrenic partner in in my partnership here. Um, but he comes from a data background. It's good to know that guys mm-hmm. who can be so analytical still get driven nuts. And still get put on tilt yeah, and still point. go off the deep end, um, you know, with, with fantasy football. It's not just me. It's not just you. Not just the listeners. It's literally everyone. And he did not uh, deny my Jessica 
Chastain theory either. So no, he did not. So, I did not hear uh, denial. So, yeah, there was no denial, uh, man. There was no commentary about that. I think he might hit close to home. Oftentimes, and I I wouldn't say this happens every year on this show, but we have guests come on. And, you know, we ask them this question at the end, you know, who's a bust, who's a sleeper? And there's certain years that we get the same person named as the bust, the same person named as a sleeper. doesn't happen every year. I think it's happening this year. How many guests have we had on Farrell where we ask them who a mid-round sleeper is for them? And they say Old Smoke Brown out in Las Vegas. Yep. There's a lot of high-stakes players that are on John Brown this year. And I think you're one of them. I, I am just based on um, just based on exactly what Norman said that that there is talent coming out of there at the wide receiver position, and that's it at the Raiders because prior to Drake arrival in town, uh, and especially with Richard's falling off in usage last year, uh, they went uh, to the tight end and the and the offense supported one receiver. Uh, who is that one receiver going to be? Uh, Brown brings the experience uh, to the field, and, and Gruden has proven that he loves the experienced player. Uh, the quarterback had a good year last year. Uh, he's never really going to be fantasy relevant, uh, despite the fact 27 touchdowns, which was an improvement for him. Uh, he was 19th in fantasy scoring. So, uh, I take all of the uh, Raider pass catchers with a grain of salt, but Nelson Aguilar has to be replaced. Brown has the closest game uh, to what Aguilar had and was how he was successful in the offense last year. Because Waller's going to take care of those safeties. Uh, so all you've got to do is beat your one outside corner. Um, Farrell, one other thing we didn't get to in the uh, fantasy flash up at the top of the show was the Eagles tight end situation. I can't remember if we talked about this previously, but Howard Eskin, the sideline reporter for the Philadelphia Eagles, says he hears there's a great chance Ertz is going to remain with the team to start the season. This is a player that wanted an extension and obviously coming off a bad year and, and the fact that he's 30 years old, he wasn't going to get it. It sounds like he's, you know, he got the permission to seek a trade. Obviously, nothing got done, but it sounds like he's, he's going to be a Philadelphia Eagle to start the season. So not so much an Ertz question, but a Goddard question, because this is probably going to take away Goddard's value a little bit. And then how concerned are you with Goddard failing the conditioning test when he reported to Eagles training camp? Um, because these are two things that aren't exactly working in Mr. Goddard's favor right now. Uh, didn't Jalen Rager flunk that test, too? He did. I, I saw yes, he did. That, I saw that Rager had some issues, too. Uh, we're determining a little bit that the coach of the Philadelphia Eagles may just be crazy. And um, so the conditioning test as designed by the coach might be difficult to, uh, uh, might be difficult to pass. I defer to old bum Phillips about the conditioning coach, uh, the conditioning test. Uh, coach Phillips, uh, when Earl Campbell couldn't pass it, they, they said Earl can't run a mile. And, and bum says, well, when it's, when it's fourth and a mile, we won't give the ball to Earl. And so the <laughs> the and, and that's you know if your players are conditioned, uh, you'll that will turn up on the field. Uh, I don't know about the conditioning test. It's it's a way to nationally embarrass the player, uh, and I don't uh, I don't I don't think that serves much of a purpose. And Philadelphia needs to find a way to bring the team together. Right now, they've got a young quarterback, which. Uh, is my understanding is that he commands the locker room. People really like him, uh, but you know the, the front office is talking about trying to acquire Deshaun Watson. And uh, but let me ask you your question because you asked about the tight ends. Uh, Ertz, I'm not so sure his game is through. Everybody heard in Philadelphia, and he mm. did too last year, and he tried to play. I'm not so sure that his skills have, have eroded. You know. There are a, a small subset of athletes who can play, who look like a player one day and the next day hit the wall and can't get it back. I'm not sure that's him. You know, he's there. He's playing. He was well-respected uh, player across this league. Um, Goddard, I, I question, uh, again, how often uh, the quarterback is going to go through the uh, progressions of the passing game and not take off running. Quarterback excels 
when things break down around him. And for fantasy players, we love that. For a football team, it could be a disaster. Um, but Zach Ertz is, is a round in a draft I'm doing now. And football guys, 14th, 15th round, i got to wonder why, and I hope he lasts until I can get him. Um, I have been the, at least the vice president of the Zach Ertz fan club for the last half decade. I, I feel like he has always been disrespected. He always goes later than he should. And then I feel like last year was the first time he went early or he, he did not outperform his draft slot. And now I feel like I'm, I'm off the Ertz train a little bit, but Farrell, I, I think you have me picking up my luggage and chasing that train down the tracks right now and seeing if I can hop aboard the caboose at least in a couple of drafts and see if I can't get Zach Ertz as a backup tight end. Some of my Kentucky teams, some of my private leagues this year um, might be, might be worth it just to see what happens given the low draft capital. Um, well, let's get to one email. I don't think we'll have any time for any more than one email tonight, but I do want to get to Mike in midfield term, Pennsylvania. Wow. That's a, that's a city. Mm. How do you guys feel about Elijah Moore from a redraft perspective this season? Thanks gentlemen. That is Mike in midfield term, Pennsylvania. Elijah Moore, Farrell, as we go to the, uh, the Mojo ADP and see what his mojo is at right now. Currently, I know it's gone up. He is up to wide receiver 50 at that 10-11 turn. 10-10 right now. He's going right behind fellow rookie Jalen Waddell, going ahead of Henry Ruggs, Russell Gage, and Darnell Mooney. Elijah Moore is getting some hype. Um, is the hype warranted in New York for Mr. Moore? Um, when, when he was drafted to the Jets, I took a deep breath because this is one of my favorite players. You could, you could put him in with Tony, um, and, and neither of them with an initial landing spot, uh, that I had hoped for. But then I took a look at the landscape and took a look at the people that are there. You've got a defensive minded coach who's coming in, but the draft showed all offensive skill set. uh, building on that offense. You've got a... Rookie quarterback, you've got a rookie wide receiver, and you've got a rookie running back. But they're not acting like rookies. If you look at the press, they're showing up early, working hard. Elijah Moore got some negative attention uh, in the game. People that follow SEC football can remember when he pretended to be a dog urinating in the end zone versus Mississippi State. He had to answer to that through the combine process. And I think it's matured him very nicely. He uh, he's become somewhat of an old soul wrapped up in a five foot ten inch, hundred and eighty pound body. You know, the, the veteran players talk positively about him. Uh, he and the quarterback seem to have things going early. Um, fantasy players probably don't care, but there's a director of scouting at the New York Jets named John Carr, and he's doing a very good job. It's reflected in this draft. It was reflected in last year's draft. Uh, there's a guy named Phil Savage, and, and Balky, you've heard of him. He's on the NFL Network. Yep. He used to run the Senior Bowl. And he, what he's got is a good relationship across uh, with administrations across the Southeastern Conference, uh, the Senior Bowl being in Mobile, Alabama. So they know the players. They know the players on the field and off the field, the kind of players that are going to play for Coach Robert Salas Jets are the kind of players that you want to root for. So if you draft this player, I think you're going to see him do well as the team progresses through the year. But I think he has a chance to really play beyond uh, that position of the the 10th round draft pick and be more of a one-two player. receiving threat. I, I see a lot of the other jet receivers going later in the draft, and they, they probably shouldn't because I think Davis and Elijah Moore are going to be a, a great tandem of wide receivers and a team that has really been looking for help over the years. And, you know, yeah, this this team is going to have its ups and downs, but they're going to be able to answer um, and be competitive in games uh, Elijah Moore is a player that I want on my team, so I'm, I'm all for him. Yeah, and and I like him too. And the fact that that his his draft capital is still at a at a um, very palatable spot right now, I, I'm all aboard. I mean, who yes, else sir. are you going to get at that spot that's going to have the upside there? So I'm I'm with him. Remember, this was it. AJ Brown was it? DK Metcalf said that Elijah Moore was a better receiver than he was at Ole Miss. It was Metcalf who said that, right? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. So, I mean, that's exactly right. They had great respect. They had great respect for this kid. You know, they left there when he was, when he was coming in and, and yeah, that, that's something worthwhile to, 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 uh, it's something worthwhile to carry on your resume. And it certainly got the attention of, of not only John Carr, but everyone else in the league. If you take away anything from this uh, discussion tonight, it's draft Elijah Moore in the 10th round. If you take away two things from this discussion tonight, it's knowing, knowing that Kentucky uh, Fantasy Football State Championship drafts in Cincinnati are two weeks away, and we are basically four weeks away from the uh, Louisville drafts, the, the, the online uh, slow drafts going on. You've got to get in on this, kffsc.com. If you uh, want to chat with Farrell about it, figure out what you want to do, if you want to expand your territory in the Kentucky Fantasy Football State Championship, 502-523-5057. Farrell, it's been a pleasure. We'll do this again next Friday, uh, an hour early, for some more live draft coverage. I'll be looking forward to it, Bob. You have a great weekend. Thank you, buddy. You too. Farrell Elliott, the definitive commissioner of fantasy football, uh, and, and he joins us tonight. Now, I'm just looking at the Blog Talk Radio chat right now uh, after, um, after Farrell pops off, and um, Wasp Guy, uh, who just got done with a KFFSC draft tonight, um, is asking about uh, Tevin Coleman versus Michael Carter. Now, I am of the opinion that I think Carter is probably the guy who is going to put up the best stats in New York. Farrell um, has brought me over to the other side of not eliminating Tevin Coleman. He likes Coleman this year, and I got to tell you, when you look at the ADP for Tevin Coleman right now in football guys drafts over the last three days, Running back 58, he has creeped up to the 14th round, but I mean, there is a non-zero chance that he is the starter this year, even though Carter's running with the ones. Non-zero chance that Coleman's a starter. Who are you going to draft around him? Giovanni Bernard, Damian Williams, Javian Hawkins, James White, Darrell Williams. None of those guys really have a chance to start. Tevin Coleman does. So I think when you look at it from a draft capital, from a value standpoint, I think Coleman might be your guy there, or you could grab both of them and see what happens. You know, it's not like Michael Carter is going um, for, for exorbitant, crazy prices right now in football guys' drafts. Running back 29 at the 701 for the guy running with the ones. Yeah, yeah, I can get on board with that. Um, so I think that's how I would answer that uh, uh, question right there. Now, for uh, next week, let's bring this up. First of all, I want to thank Norm Barron, Farrell Elliott, the FFPC, Rob Bryce, and of course, more important, most importantly, each and every one of you for listening to the program tonight. Next Friday, as I teased it earlier, we are on at a special 9, 8 central time, two full hours of live pick-by-pick analysis of the live on the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour draft Football Guys Players Championship style. This is something that we do every single year. This is our last live draft coverage of the year. So if you love the live draft podcast, this is your last chance to listen to it here on the HSFF Hour. We will have uh, a ton of, of talented players, including a lot of former guests on the show. And actually, as I look at it right now, I'm just counting, uh, counting them up. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, uh, seven, eight. Now eight out of the 12 drafters have been former guests on this show before. So a lot of talent in this draft next week. Joseph Paprizicki, John Terry, Biplab Mandel, Hudson Reeve, Liz Ballard, Chris Carlson, Chris Vincent, Jimmy Wagner, Wayne Ferguson, Jim Johnson, Jared Hines, and tonight's guest, Norm Barons, all participating at 9, 8 Central uh, next Friday. So that is going to be a lot of fun. Hopefully you can hop aboard for that. want to remind you to get involved in the inaugural best ball tournament today. Um, less than 2,000 spots left on that, so that is going fast in its first year. Make sure you're not missing out on that. Dynasty startups popping off this weekend. The 2021 Football Guys Players Championship filling up fast. Let's fill up that midnight draft tonight, ladies and gentlemen. $400 off each main event, uh, additional main event team you buy today. And, of course, join the KFFSC main event at KFFSC.com. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. Your weekend officially starts now. This has been another episode of the High Stakes Fantasy Football Hour, presented by MyFFPC.com. It was broadcast live and heard around the world. Balky and Farrell will be back next week with more analysis, interviews, and advice from guests much smarter than they are. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk with you again next week.
pretty crazy that we're this close to Kentucky too. You know, every every year we we start doing these um, um, podcasts. Well, I mean, we don't start doing. We do this podcast year round, but um, you know, we start doing the best balls and we're getting best ball drafters on. It, it does. It seems like it's so far away from the start of the season, but I mean, people, we're going to have a preseason game this coming Thursday. The first preseason game in two years. See the Cowboys. See the Steelers going to be a lot of fun i gotta believe i haven't checked but hard knocks has to be around the corner it's all happening to quote almost famous it is all happening and we can't wait uh, to see you out in vegas hop in those draft rooms right now ladies and gentlemen they are going fast and furious right now don't miss out on your chance for any one of uh six three separate uh beg your pardon four separate um six figure grand prizes this year at the ffpc be good we'll see you in the draft rooms this weekend everybody thanks for listening